This is the Humboldt Chronicles. I am the queen of everything. I gotta be high before I can sway. Lighter tea and let it be. If you a viper. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask and Comet the Radio Dog. The Humboldt Chronicles is made possible by Savage Henry Magazine and Comedy Club. Much appreciation for your support of The Humboldt Chronicles. This is the 46th episode of The Humboldt Chronicles, and in this edition of The Chronicles, we'll be discussing what's in the middle. The outdated term, middleman, explains it. So does intermediary. In the cannabis industry, what you find in the middle of the supply chain is a distributor. What is that, Larry? A distributor can be thought of as an agent of the cultivator, for example, uh, one that offers a number of different services, uh, processing, packaging, marketing, shepherding product through the testing process, transportation and sales, though not all distributors provide all of these services in every instance. There's a variety of different ways they go about it. The post-Prop 64 regulatory regime requires that cultivators go through a distributor at the very least as an agent for getting their products into the hands of retailers. Farmers are not allowed to sell directly to retailers or consumers. In some ways, this is similar to the rules for producers of hard alcohol, though it should be noted not for beer, cider, and wine. Although distillers get a break that cannabis producers do not. Distillers can sell limited quantities directly to consumers. But because of the nature of the cannabis market, and perhaps because the industry is new and still developing, the distribution system for cannabis works in ways that would scarcely be tolerated in other industries. Consider this scenario. A farmer delivers her crop to a distributor, hoping to get it into retail outlets in the Bay Area or Los Angeles. The distributor accepts the crop on the front, on consignment, No money is paid to the farmer at this point. Maybe some general terms are discussed, such as the desired price per pound and the desired time frame, or maybe terms are not discussed at all. Different distributors operate in different ways, and no part of this transaction is done through a contract. It's all by verbal agreement. The distributor, in our hypothetical, is not terribly good at communicating, so the farmer hears nothing for more than a month. During this time, the distributor tries to sell the crop to dispensaries down south, but because of oversupply, let's say, they can't sell all of it, and what they can sell commands a price far below what the farmer was hoping for. So, at some point, most of the crop is returned, unsold, to the farmer, along with a promise to pay the smaller-than-expected revenue for what did sell some number of months into the future. This hypothetical is not representative of every such transaction in the cannabis industry, but based on our discussions with a number of people who have direct knowledge, it is far from rare. Who could do business like this? Right? It's worth pointing out that not all states that have legalized cannabis have adopted this model, and certainly many other industries don't operate with a legally required distribution scheme. So to try to understand what seems to be a cumbersome and expensive supply chain, We talked with two people with experience navigating the system, Tara Gurley of Retailer Proper Wellness Center in Eureka and Rio Dell, and Chanel Kress of Humboldt.Farm in Bridgeville. 
First, our conversation with Chanel. We do everything on the farm from cloning to cultivating to now. As of last year, I teamed up with a few farmers and we started our own distribution company. It actually fizzled out last month, was the end of our license, but um, that's how these things go because distribution is really hard. But I was packaging, labeling, uh, even doing sales connections to dispensaries and driving as well. So we did everything from clone to sale, not directly to consumer, but to dispensaries. And um, that ended, but I did come upon a new opportunity I'm super grateful for where I'm, again, packaging. I'm not driving, but I'm still doing my sales. And yeah, our products are going to launch again really soon. So we're stoked. What are the regulatory requirements regarding your use of a distribution company? So we're required by the state to utilize a third-party distribution company to make the final connection to sales, whether that be bulk sales or retail or whatever you choose. It's one step of the supply chain that is actually becoming a problem for a lot of farmers because we, we're social. We have a large following on Instagram. We have connections already. We were in the 215 era, so it's a requirement that we see it should be more of an option rather than a requirement when you say you, you there's a separate license for processing what what all does processing involve so we can cut the plants and dry them at our farm but we cannot trim on site anymore we can't have a bunch of employees we don't have the proper building or permits to do that so we have to have a third party do everything after us like they take it off the farm they trim it and then they just give us our numbers and then it goes to distribution and then on to sales so really it's kind of out of our hands after harvest which has never been a thing prior to prop 64 so it's been really difficult overcoming having a third party take on your entire crop you worked all year for that's obviously a a very different way of doing business than prior to Prop 64. Is the, is the rule that you have to have a special license for processing like a workplace safety requirement, or why do they have that rule that you can't do your own trimming? Um, a lot of it's liability. They want everything accounted for, and they feel that if you push it along to a third party that they there will be more accountability. In our initial request, for getting our license, we put in the application that we were going to process off-site because we didn't have the proper building for it at the time. And in that application, we said we wanted to work toward that. But because we put in our initial application that we were going to process off-site, they kind of were like, okay, now that's what you guys are going to do. And they didn't allow us to change it. Um, so far, we are even it's taking forever to just get a better drying building in place on our farm. It's been a couple of years now that we've been working on that with the planning department. So it's just, it, everything takes so much time and it's crazy early on. We didn't know all these requirements were going to be so intense. So now we're living it and uh, we definitely would love to have processing on site. It would just help us immensely. 
So is it your sense from having been in this business prior to Prop 64 and now you're getting used to the way things work with Prop 64, is it your sense that the distribution requirement is there just for accountability and tracking and tracing? And are there other services that a distributor uh, is advantageous for? Absolutely. And I feel that a lot of farmers, you know, we've been in the woods. We don't have, a lot of them don't have a lot of connections. We Mm -hmm. lived a pretty low key life up until this point where we weren't advertising brands and talking really about what we did for a living at all. So now a lot of distribution companies do offer getting your products in spaces in LA and San Francisco and places that farmers up here don't have those connections. But then there's also people who have that team already established who I just feel it would be an advantage for us to be able to do that without a distribution company. I mean, it's like anywhere from 15 to 25% that you're paying these distribution companies of your total sales, and that's before taxes. So it, it adds up, especially with prices being so low this year in comparison to past years. It's just a lot for us, and I feel that it would be just better if we had it as an option. Because I could use some help in some areas, but there's a lot of it where I I got it. I could do that part, and I would be responsible for taxes and everything, but they don't allow us to take that on, so it's been a problem. So if it were optional, do you think that there might be uh, a lot of cultivators who might use a distributor uh, for part of what they produce, but then they might, uh, as you say, with connections you already have, uh, move that product in another direction with the connections you already have. Maybe you would use, a, it would be a hybrid, you would y- use a distributor for some and just your direct connections for others? Absolutely. And when you think about something as large as 15 to 25% of the sales, yeah, that's a big chunk of the crop that you're giving to someone to just move it to the next person. And a lot, oftentimes I could do that on my own not pay them but it's a requirement so we got to do it and it's it's crazy a lot of the problems are also these distributors take the crops um on the front on consignment and you have to really put a lot of trust in them that they're going to handle it properly cannabis is time sensitive it you have it has a shelf life so if it's not stored properly in a good building if they don't burp the bags if they don't check on it. Um, A lot of people are getting their products returned later on because they can't sell it because it's gone bad. And now you you are going to pay these people 20% or whatever, but now you just can't even sell it at all because you trusted the third party. Would it make a big difference in your business if you were able to just sell directly to consumers or directly to a dispensary or directly to someone at, say, uh, a farmer's market if you had a vendor booth there? It would be incredible, and it would help so much. And that is how other states are modeling their industry. And it just would be so cool to follow that. But I'm not sure where the disconnect is 
with California not getting on board with that. But yeah, we would love that. There are farmers who would like to use a hybrid of this system, like a distributor for some of their crop, maybe for markets a long way away or markets that are difficult to get a foothold in. But for the rest of the crop, deal directly with retailers close by and known to them. So some of their crop avoids the expensive stop in the middle. We'll talk more about that next. Back in just a moment. This is the Humboldt Chronicles. Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Chanel Kress of Humboldt.Farm in Bridgeville about distributors, the middle of the cannabis supply chain where a crop can linger in a kind of limbo between cultivation and retail sales. Limbo is a required stop. Sometimes the required use of a distributor is a win-win for farmer and distributor, sometimes not. Still, there's no choice in the matter. But some cultivators wouldn't mind sending some of their crop in that direction anyway. It turns out that there are distributor services that some farmers see as advantageous. And that's where we return to our conversation with Chanel Cress. I'm thinking of other industries where there isn't a regulatory requirement that, that businesses go through distribution companies, and yet they do anyway. Are there services that distribution companies offer that you would use anyway, even if you didn't have to? I'm especially interested in the ability of distribution companies to get your product in markets that are far away from Humboldt County. For sure. And I would use those regardless of the requirement or not. I mean, I have connections to Los Angeles that I had no distributors in the area. And if I could take my products down there easily and have them distributed, I would. But so if I use a local Humboldt County distributor, I have to pay them regardless of where they take it. So if I'm going to use my local distributor to take it to LA to another distributor, now I'm paying multiple people and that's just out of the question. So, I mean, definitely you want to pick a distributor that's doing work outside of Humboldt County. I mean, we can sell quite a bit in this area and we have a good support network, but you got to get out of the area, at least to the Bay Area. So you want to pick someone who's doing a lot and doesn't have to pass it on to the next person to then add money. And you want your products to hit the shelves at a reasonable price. If If it gets to LA and it's twice as much because it was handed off to so many people, it's not going to look good to the customers and they're not going to want to buy it. So yeah, it's, it's a mess at this point. Is there much of a delay between your delivery to a distributor and payment uh, that comes back to you? We've interviewed farmers over the course of the years here where some have said that that's been a problem. Is Have you noticed that? And if so, is it still the case? For sure. It is, um, especially when they say they're going to sell it next week or whatever day they give you, and they actually don't go through, the sale doesn't go through, and now they're just holding your product, and you can't pass it on to somebody else. You can't try with anyone new until you get it back, and a lot of them refuse to give it back for a while, but... Even when it is sold, they have a lot to do. They have to pay the taxes with it and then invoice you and 
there's so many employees at a lot of these bigger ones that it it absolutely takes a while to get the word back to the farmer that money is ready. I want to stay on this topic for a little bit because when this was first described to me a couple of years ago, the relationship between the farmer and the distributor, it seemed a little bit odd in a couple of ways. One was this delay between delivering the product to the distributor and receiving your revenue back. But also, I was told by this farmer that we talked to that in some instances, even the terms could change. In other words, they would make an agreement up front for, you know, X number of dollars. And by the time the, you know, the final sale was made to the dispensaries, that the price was was lower or was different. And it just, it, it struck me that this isn't the way distribution services in other industries work. Typically, you make an agreement with a distributor and that's your agreement, and the terms don't change. So I'm just, I'm curious if it's still this type of deal where you're not 100% sure what the final terms are going to be until it's it's all said and done. I feel that distributors aren't including prices and terms anymore because of the cannabis industry changing so rapidly, and it's unpredictable what the price is going to be in a month, and that's scary to think about as a cultivator and someone trying to market products, but it's the reality of it. So even in past years, trim was the easiest thing to sell. And it was an instant sale after harvest that you could sell your trim. But the companies I've worked with in the past are even like the price is half as much as it was last year. And they weren't going to pay you cash up front anymore because they have to show it around and see what they're going to get for it. They're not going to, they're not sure what they're going to get this year. Um, This year is the most uncertain, I feel, by far, as we've gone along with legalization. So it's pretty scary, but I just think that most distribution companies are moving forward, aren't going to make any promises with cash prices until they actually see the money in front of them. You know that that one way that uh, agricultural producers of of non-cannabis products deal with that kind of uh, price volatility is through the use of futures contracts on the commodities exchange. I suppose that there's nothing really analogous to a futures contract in the cannabis market, but I'm wondering if you have any insight on that. You know, I really feel that the answer, and all cultivators feel the same, is out-of-state exporting. If we could legally export to other, even other legal states, because um, there's a lot of them that are just becoming recreational that aren't going to be able to supply what they need for a while. Um, so that's really the answer to all of our problems, truly. I don't think... Uh, California is growing way too much cannabis legally to move it through the supply chain at this point. So that's really the only way. Have you noticed a price decline in the wholesale market? For sure. I'd say as much as half as much as last year we were getting for our products. So we actually are jarring all of ours this year, and I know a lot of farms are so lost and still sitting on last year's bulk. So it's pretty scary. Um, 
we aren't sure the right answer to either wholesale or jar or what to do really but i know that it's hard to even get an offer at this point for your bulk for cod at least for cash and so if you want to front it to a distribution company and it's scary um to maybe not get paid but yeah that those are really the only options um but wholesale is definitely very down this year is that because of oversupply uh, absolutely um it was said that there's like 4 million more pounds grown than can be sold in California. If you're comparing it to last year's sales, it's 4 million more pounds going to be produced this year than was sold on the market last year. Which gets back to what you were saying about being able to export to other states, which gets us to federal legalization. And, you know, we hear that maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. We don't know. What do you hear? I mean, I'm hearing that it it has potential, but I think that it's going to take a while for that to even get established. It's even the first year they're not going to just okay us to send it off to other states. There's going to need to be a lot of accountability once again for the supply chain, and I'm not sure how they're going to put that all together, but I think that it's going to be years out before out-of-state export is even an option. Based on your experience, both as a cultivator and as a distributor, what would be you know one or two regulatory changes you would make that you think would make the system work better or more efficiently? Uh, well, I think in general, the price of distributing would need to come down But I know that as I work in distribution, it's just nearly impossible for them to operate for less. So it needs to altogether be eliminated from the supply chain or be an option, once again, because I know these companies have established and I appreciate a lot of their services and have used quite a few in Humboldt County, but it's just too expensive for the current market and the way that the prices are right now we can't afford to shell out a quarter of our crop to really anybody we're already doing that in taxes and whatnot and i think that accountability in distribution like um terms are cool and in contracts but um these farmers don't have money to fight you in court it's often worth less their crop is worth less than what you're going to pay in litigation fees so it's really sad to see these farms lose their crops to companies who just go under or don't know where it is or you know they take the distribution companies take on quite a bit too much they make a lot of promises like oh we'll move your whole crop just just transfer it to us and then they get it and it gets lost in their thousands of pounds that they have for the year or it gets returned later so some sort of more accountability in distribution would really help farmers you know something we've also been reading about recently and we mentioned this on our show last month or the month before is that You know, Prop 64 gave local jurisdictions, counties and cities and towns, the option to uh, accept this or uh, maybe to opt out. And so there are a lot of places around California, which is a big state, as we all know, where 
there still are no dispensaries. There still is no way to get into this business, but more and more are beginning to legalize it in their areas. Are you seeing that make a difference, or is that just going to take too much time to solve some of these current problems? You know, it definitely helps. Sales aren't great, though, because a lot of new brands are popping up every year, and all of these large corporate farms are expanding every year, and the state is allowing it. So I just feel that as many dispensaries pop up in California, it's still isn't going to be able to handle the load that we are growing. And it's going to be a long time before we can. Chanel, tell us what you see for the future. Look look down the road, even just six months or a year or two years. How do you see this unfolding? Sadly, I already am seeing farms that I believed in and looked up to dropping off and stopping cultivating and not jarring this year and there's just so much uncertainty that the farms by far are getting the worst of it and you know distribution still makes their percentage and dispensaries still sell it for the same percent markup and it's truly the farms getting the worst of it but um in the next couple years i i see small boutique farms becoming less and less of a thing and just big corporate brands continuing on and it's really sad to say that but i do see it in front of my eyes every day wow that's something that would hit humboldt especially hard for sure obviously one element of oversupply is the uh, the legacy market or the unregulated market and i'm just i'm just curious if you have any thoughts you know what what needs to be done to mitigate the effect of the uh, the unregulated market on the regulated market? Um, the taxes is by far the biggest problem for the unregulated market still existing. And when the consumer pays up to twice as much in the dispensary as they would on the street, which is what they've done for a very long time. They just will go back to what they know and what they can afford. And a lot of that is, you know, distribution is adding a chunk of money. Then we have taxes. We have state and county taxes, excise taxes. I mean, all these things end up the consumer has to pay for them. Um, So the prices in the dispensary are just high and everybody knows that we'll get the perspective of tara Gurley next she's a founder of retailer proper wellness center in eureka and rio Dell, and is also just getting into the distribution business our conversation with her in just a moment you're listening to the humble chronicles back to the Humboldt Chronicles. Now to our discussion with Tara Gurley of Proper Wellness Center in Eureka and Rio Dell, a retailer. But Tara is also venturing into the distribution business. Right. Proper Wellness has been in the game from the beginning, starting as a transportation operation, and they've continued to grow from there. Proper Wellness Center, you know, our actual history in five years ago, uh, we launched a cannabis transportation business called Proper Cannabis Association. And um, 
Two of our founders, myself and Simone, did license transportation for cannabis for farmers from either here to distribution or here to retailers. About five years ago, we were allowed to transport pre-rolls straight to the stores. So just recently, since opening our two retail stores, uh, as our timeline has progressed, we have evolved and we have a distribution center now and it's located in Eureka, California. And we are hoping to use that distribution center to provide the local farmers with a more seamless farm to sale progression. So Tara, following up on that, what specifically do distributors offer to the farmer? Um, That's interesting. So a distribution service right now in California, um, any farmer who would want to get their product to a retailer actually has to go through some form of a distribution license. So a farmer can't, unless they have their own distro license, take their product straight to retailers. Everything has to travel through distribution to make it to the market. You know, farmers can just have their wholesale product or they can have it packaged, but the end result is always to get it to sale. So let me mention a couple of different services and I'm wondering if you can tell me if these are the types of things that distributors would do. So, for example, uh, packaging, marketing, uh, transportation, getting product through the testing regime. Those all sound like those could be done by a distributor. Some distributors don't do the actual packaging. Um, They just do the the transporting, like you said, but some offer everything from packaging even to processing, like trimming. I'm trying to understand exactly why the regulatory regime was set up that prevents a cannabis producer from, for example, going straight to a dispensary. Why would you need a distributor in between the farmer and the dispensary? It has caused a lot of difficulty, especially um, in their first proposal where a farmer could do their own pre-roll packaging or package their eights, and then they could hire a transportation to just get it to the retailer. Basically, it was like the first year that they were giving licenses. This was in existence. And also, retailers were getting their own transport, and farmers were getting their own transport. So there really wasn't a need for a big distribution. Um, I think that The testing arm of the California market is really where the distributors became necessary because of the quarantining time and different labels and things that needed to be done in a clean environment that the distributors were providing, temperature controlled and whatnot. Should there be a hybrid model, some sort of model where a farmer could sell directly to a dispensary locally and then make use of a distributor for far-flung customers and distributors, say, in Southern California or somewhere else? I mean, that sounds interesting. I think that working together and especially like all the local license holders and stuff being collaborative, yeah, working together, we can really create something like that for our community because... Um, We do hold these licenses that can readily get product from farm to market. You know, one thing we've been reading about lately is a significant price decline in the wholesale market. Have you seen that? And if so, is that still the case? So that's a very interesting thing with us just licensing our 
our distribution is that uh, prices are significantly down. And I think with all the distributors that like want to handle the product, the farmer is trying to sell his product. Then that distributor is trying to sell that product to make a piece on it. They're trying to turn it into this and then sell it to the store. It's just moving through too many hands. And so that's why at the beginning it's starting so low because they're trying to uh, move it through a lot instead of directly to the store. And a lot of people are trying to make money off cannabis right now. <laughs> well, what can be happening. done about that uh, decline in the price? What, what should be done? Well, with anything um, in any market, it's just about holding true. As retailers, we can't, like, significantly drop our prices. Like, we have to just keep the value as as it is and as it's been um, and just push for that. We have to pay the proper price, as they say, and we have to keep it, keep our uh, market um, steadfast and, and steady and not try to rock the boat. Is there an oversupply problem that's also making the the price decline worse? I think that would just come with the type of businesses you you guys described where they're taking the money they've made in in distro and they're uh, creating these mega farms and stuff in Cali. But with those mega farms, the quality of cannabis is severely decreased. So I think that the quality and the local craft will still have a good uh, price point and still be able to sold, be sold for a good value. Are there regulatory changes or other changes that you would like to see that would improve the whole distribution process or the whole supply chain? I think Eureka has made some changes in their ordinances that is just a more relaxed system and it's getting something like where you have multiple licenses at one location is significantly easier. So I think just making it not as an expensive a buy-in so that these real craft cannabis producers have a chance in the market. When I imagine a, a young business entrepreneur, they could start a candle store for a couple hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, it's not that expensive. And so I think for farmers and the people who really care about this plant that it might be a very um, steep and complicated and expensive process and that I think that it should be more along the lines of opening uh, a regular store and not so heavily regulated as far as fees and, and all the complicated paperwork. Of course, making sure that humble farmers, distributors, and retailers can stay in the game is the way to ensure that heritage cannabis grown here in Humboldt County can stay on the shelves of retailers all over the state and eventually all over the country and the world. Our consumers and connoisseurs up here really do know their stuff. And when they come in and they try these corporate, these overproduced, large-scale products as opposed to the beautiful stuff coming out of Humboldt, you can really see that difference. And so um, hopefully these locally owned clubs that are here in Humboldt continue to do that and showcase the local stuff because it's really special and beautiful. And I think even an, an unskilled eye and nose could really see a significant difference if they came in and checked it out. Do you think that that translates outside of Humboldt County? So for example, if you have a a less sophisticated consumer in Los Angeles, and they're looking at some sort of mainstream corporate product next to handcrafted, yeah. you know, humble grown, will they recognize and appreciate that difference? I would hope so. And it really is, like you said, just about um, these locals having those connections and being present in those clubs down there, because it is few and far between finding the uh, 
the local stuff when you go down to L.A. So at this point, I think we're just a smaller scale. You know, we can't really compare ourselves to the, the billion-dollar dudes down there, but we are working hard to uh, preserve these uh, this beautiful way of life and these legacy farms because heritage cannabis is like no other. So, Larry, as we've taken this trip along the supply chain in this business, it's a view we're becoming used to seeing. Yeah, that, that companies in the cannabis industry have more bumps along the way than businesses in almost any other industry, maybe any other industry. Those bumps are put there intentionally by law. They slow the growth of the industry, and they serve to make it difficult for some entrepreneurs to get into the business in the first place, especially here in California. Tara, though, makes a good point about the community here in Humboldt recognizing that problem, I think. Yeah, the cannabis community here seems to be rallying and trying to help one another until the road smooths out a bit. And I think that that's one of the features, particularly of the business in Humboldt County, that stands out. Yeah, and and good for them for standing up for each other like that. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. This edition of the Humboldt Chronicles will be posted soon at 941lounge.com, lostcoastoutpost.com, and at iTunes for listening and downloading. Thanks to our guests, Chanel Cress of Humboldt.farm in Bridgeville and Tara Gurley of Proper Wellness Center in Eureka and Rio Dell. And we send much appreciation to our sponsor, Savage Henry Magazine and Comedy Club. Finally, a special thanks to Amy Bonner of Alchemy Distillery for helping us get some of our facts straight. We'll be back with the Humboldt Chronicles at 6 p.m. on the third Wednesday of October. See you next time, October the 20th at 6 p.m.